Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Tuesday. Sounds right. Think it's Tuesday. We are ready to go position by position. Getting ready for fantasy football in the year 2022. It is still March. I realize that, but we got best ball on the horizon. We've got dynasty drafts coming soon enough. It's a great day to be great. And today, we'll be going through every single quarterback, trying to figure out where we land in the ranks. And by we, I mean myself and PFS finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, last time we were here, we talked for over three hours. It was the longest podcast I have ever had the privilege and pleasure of recording. I am confident we will not be going that long today, but a lot of good stuff to talk about. How are you, my friend? Yeah, definitely a, a personal record for me as well. So I'm <laughs> glad we got that out of the way like early. And we've had some pretty long ones. I think we've definitely hit the two and a half hour mark on some of our Sunday night, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, recaps of all the games. But yeah, man, things are good. Um, you know, I'm in tiering season. So tiering season, like, is this, uh, this, it's, it's, it's not that hard from a standpoint of figuring out like how you want to group the players. Honestly, one of the hardest things is like, how do I want to name the tiers? Like, <laughs> because you have players that aren't exactly the same in the same tier. And so like, sometimes I drive myself a bit crazy because I'm like, oh no, I want all these guys in the same tier to be like, this is their passing upside. This is their rushing upside. But you know how fantasy works. You add all those things together and you get, you know, a probability of scoring so many points. So that's that's what I'm going through. Like, I, I think I've renamed my tiers for quarterbacks today in my article at least 27 times. Those are the types of things that uh, get you in trouble, man. I told you, like, during the season, I, I do four articles a week. I have for several years. And I just, a long time ago, decided I am done with intros. I'm going to say, hey, I'm here the whole year. We're talking about wide receivers. Go. Because my creativity just runs out at a certain point, Dwayne. So while you're <laughs> trying to, you know, obsess over what the right name for this tier is, uh, you know, we can get to more important things like, you know, smoking or drinking or something like that. So anyway, <laughs> looking ahead at quarterback uh, for all you screen share YouTube people out there. I appreciate you very much. Let us know what you think in the comments. As always, uh, we'll be getting some more best ball, you know, live stuff going on soon enough where we can really start conversing with you all. But I just want to let you know that we will be screen sharing on Spotify as well, just to help kind of show what we're talking about and give you a little something while you're listening. So Dwayne, I think we can kind of go through the way you have um, these quarterbacks tiered up. I have my rankings next to them. We're not too far apart on a lot of these guys, which, hey man, I don't know. We talk for hundreds of hours a year I would kind of hope that we're having similar ideas about um, how we're kind of ranking these guys so I think we'll probably have a lot more to say you know discrepancy wise at the other positions but yeah man let's just uh, get into it with our tier one quarterbacks or at least I have one of these guys in my uh, tier one that is Josh Allen the QB one reigning defending back-to-back years actually the first quarterback to repeat as the overall fantasy QB one since Dante Culpepper managed to do so back in the early 2000s so Dwayne you know with Josh Allen what I keep coming back to is just how insane this dude's rushing production continues to be I mean just in terms of finding the end zone 31 career rushing touchdowns that's 10th 10th among everybody in the NFL since 2018. Mike Vick only has 36 career rushing scores. That just kind of shows you how wild Allen's uh, just, again, rushing floor is once he gets near the end zone. We did see last year a little bit of a drop-off just based on 2020 in terms of volatility. He finished outside the position's top 15 uh, fantasy performers on four separate occasions. That happened just twice in 2020. But, Dwayne, it's just so tough to get away from Josh Allen. He has the weapons. He has the passing volume. And just the rushing touchdowns make him the closest thing I think we have at this point to a cheat code. Josh Allen, the QB1. I don't think, you know, we need to overthink it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and for me, like the way I look at this tier, um, I have Kyler Murray in the same tier. Um, I think there's two players in the league that have the upside of a 4,500-yard passing season along with a 750-plus yard rushing season. And I think that's only Kyler Murray and, you know, Josh Allen. And that's no disrespect to Lamar Miller. We'll talk about him different. You know, we'll talk about him in a few minutes. Like Lamar he Miller. Has, <laughs> Lamar Miller. Good God, dude. Lamar Jackson. What am I doing? <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Didn't like riding too long. Sorry. Yeah. Lamar Jackson, um, you know, he could have a thousand yards rushing, right? Basically any season, if, if you extrapolate, you know, Lamar Jackson's data out for a complete season um, at any moment in time over the last, you know, four years, he would have over 1,000 yards rushing. But he just doesn't have the upside that those two guys have as passers at this point. So I definitely think Kyler Murray belongs in there. And like, like if you look at fantasy points per drop back, um, Kyler Murray is right there with Josh Allen, you know, over the last two years, 0. 0.57, 0. 0.63. Um, so he really averages out to be right there by Josh Allen. So both guys from a fantasy point per dropback. The difference is Josh Allen is in a super pass-heavy team no matter what. If they're running, if they're if they're leading, if they're trailing, if they're close, they're still going to drop back to pass 65-70% of the time. And that's really what gives him the leg up to be number one. And, and the fact that, to your point, he's just already been you know the QB one over the last two years. There's no reason to, de- to dethrone Josh Allen from that. But I think Murray is the guy that people are probably sleeping on. We just need a fully healthy season from Kyler Murray, I think, to, to uncap that. We just, and look, I think between Allen, Kyler, Lamar, Herbert, and Mahomes, who you know constitute your tier one and tier two, and they are my big five quarterbacks as well. If someone even wanted to flip those rankings, like, I think you could probably make a decent enough argument uh, to you know rationalize your point. These are aliens that have the ability to run the ball and also throw at an extremely high level. Yes, that includes Lamar Jackson. You don't accidentally lead the league in passing touchdowns in 2019. Literally put forward the best fantasy season we've ever seen from a quarterback uh, without being good at, you know, throwing the football. So I would just keep that in mind, you know, when we kind of get to the lower ranks on this list, because we're, we're going to be talking about some really good real-life quarterbacks still, you know, in the QB 15, the QB 20 range, but they just aren't these freaks of a nature that we're seeing nowadays that are in offenses with good weapons, willing to throw the ball around and also use their quarterback as the dual threat in the run game as well so that does bring us to your QB number two my QB five Kyler Murray at his best Dwayne which was weeks one through ten in 2020 before he got the shoulder bruise he was on pace to basically flirt with breaking Lamar Jackson's single best season that we've seen from a quarterback in terms of fantasy points per game he got the shoulder issue wasn't quite the same run the ball after that and then in last year weeks one through eight overall QB five doing all sorts of good things comes back from the ankle injury you know he was healthy enough to run the ball at that point but finished as just a QB six uh, in those final six seven games of the year so what What makes you give Kyler the edge over Lamar, over Herbert, over Mahomes? We have talked about throughout the offseason, one of the studies I did, that these quarterbacks do tend, you know, regardless of error, really, at least in the last 20, 25 years, high volume rushing quarterbacks do historically run the ball less as they, you know, progress more in the NFL. Makes sense, but we, you know, backed it up with numbers, which is always good to do in fantasy football and life. What gives, what has you given Kyler the edge over Lamar, over Herbert, and over Mahomes? Yeah, I think it's just the fact that I think his passing ceiling is higher and I think their rushing, you know, is similar. Like I would give Lamar Jackson the slight edge as far as upside for rushing yards, but I think when I combine the two together, um, I don't think Lamar Jackson has 5,000 yards passing 
and 750 yards rushing in his range of outcomes. I think that's there for Kyler Murray. I've got him at, you know, if I'm ballparking and I haven't done my exact projections yet, like I put him in the bucket of saying, hey, 4,500 plus 750. I don't think that Lamar has that type of upside. Last year, even in a heavier passing attack with the Ravens, Lamar Jackson was on pace for a 4,000-yard season um, over 17 games. So we just haven't seen him you know, get to that same level that we've seen Kyler Murray get to as far as throwing. And so I just think that Kyler Murray has slightly more outs as far as either having a huge season, either in rushing or in passing, or really combining both of those things together. And again, it's like you said, like I like all these guys. I do have Josh Allen and Kyler Murray in my tier one by themselves, but very little separates them from the next tier down um, with Herbert, with Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, and the others, you know, so it's just, well, I guess there's only one other one in there. <laughs> we have our top five, but, <laughs> but that, that's really where my thought process is, um, is, is just more upside in the passing game for Kyler Murray than there is for Lamar Jackson. I'm not trying to tell you how to make your tears, Dwayne, but yeah, it seems like a one, a one B, you know, is certainly viable there, uh, between those big five Kyler as a passer, you know, really just has been a joy to watch. Like there's a reason why nobody's, you know, okay. The Lamar RB jokes those are slanderous regardless but there's a reason why no one's going that far with Kylo Murray last year really did put forward the single best I would say you know discrepancy between having a high big time throw rate and a very low turnover worthy play rate so I will say uh, I enjoy the big time throw rates uh, statistic that PFF provides and yeah it is a little bit subjective everyone but when you go back and look at the freaking throws they're the type of tight window elite throws that you know you and your buddies watching the games will see are popping off the screen I will say though, Dwayne, I think I've been a little bit of a victim of this, you know, maybe putting a little too much weight behind the big time throws because our own resident projection expert, Kevin Cole, made a good point I've been thinking about a lot where he did just said that big time throws they tend to be maybe a little bit more of a stylistic you know, measure as opposed to something that we should be using to predict future high-end performance at the position. So Kyler, it's, he can make every throw on the field. It's incredible to watch. I do wonder, though, in an offense where now we have Hopkins and Ertz, two guys that you know their age is going to be already for Ertz. I believe Hopkins is getting there, starting with a three before too long. Man, I just worry if we've already seen the best out of the Cliff Kingsbury offense and now suddenly Kyler, his top three offensive weapons are all, you know, starting to push um, a little bit of elderly status at their relative positions. Do you think the Cardinals are really like, is this Kyler Cliff partnership still on the rise, man? Or have we maybe already seen the best of them? I mean, it's possible that we've seen the best. I mean, 24.9 fantasy points per game in 2020 is really good. That's a pretty good best. But last year at 22.1 is also still really good. Look, I'm just counting on Kyler as the cheat code. He can run the ball, and we've just seen more passing upside from him than Lamar Jackson. And I just, I don't really feel that's debatable. I agree that I I don't use turnover-worthy plays or big-time throw rates to really, um, you know, to help me forecast what I think a player is going to do in the season. I mean, the biggest thing I look at Kyler Murray is if you just extrapolate the 17 games, which he's played 16, 16, and 14, he's gotten better every year. 3,945 yards passing, uh, 4,219 yards passing. Last year would have been 4,607 yards passing. So he's gotten better every year. PFF pass grade gone from a 61.1 to a 77.2 to an 88.1. So he also got better in that area every year as well. Also, if you want to look at like some of the normal stuff people are used to hearing about, yards per attempt, 6.9, 7.1, 7.9. So he was really better last year, even though DeAndre Hopkins was basically hobbled or not playing the whole season. You know, Zach Ertz, we've talked about tight ends. It's not like he's just going to hit a cliff this year. I would expect him to be similar to last year. Yep. He's an old dude that can find a hole in his own. So I don't 
think there's, I, I don't, I'm not too worried about seeing a drop off um, for the players because really Kyler already played essentially without Hopkins last year. I expect Ertz to be about the same. Like you could argue Christian Kirk is going to be a loss because he really was the field stretcher. That would be the one I would be the most worried about. But again, like it's not like Christian Kirk has ever been this player that's demanded a huge part of portion of the Cardinals, you know, target share. So we know he's really a complimentary player. So I'm, I'm, I don't know that we can trust Cliff Kingsbury, but I think, you know, the hope is we see Rondell Moore get more involved working down the field, or maybe the Cardinals do add another player via the draft, or if it's through free agency that can help, you know, really offset the loss of Christian Kirk, which I don't think is really that huge for the offense. So I feel, I feel pretty good about, you know, right now rule of thought, like I say, Hey, 4,500 yards passing, and he's got upside this hit 750 yards 750 yards rushing um, but i think he comfortably could hit could hit 4500 yards passing and 500 yards rushing i think like that's like it's hard to project him you know lower than that i mean you might have him at like 4400 but it's going to be pretty hard to get below that and any any time you project somebody that high in both of those categories it's it's just it's going to be really tough for him to not be in your top 3 and I think the point you made about him having a lot of outs is probably what could have me rising him up just a little bit uh, once we're done recording this podcast. Because last year, and we heard Kyler say this in the offseason, that he was hoping to not depend on his legs quite as much in 2021 as he did in 2020. And he didn't. Rushing yards per game went from 51 to 30. Rushing attempts per game went from 8.3 down to 6.3. Now, he was willing to do that because the offense in the passing game, as you brought up, all of his numbers have been going up year after year uh, throwing the football. So he was able to lean less on his legs. Well, if some of my concerns come to fruition and maybe the passing game isn't quite as efficient this year, maybe he leans back on the fantasy-friendly rushing stuff uh, to begin with. That's all. Let's really get the best fantasy version out of him in the first place. So Kyler Murray, um, you know, again, certainly deserving of QB2 treatment. And if you want to go anything past uh, QB5, you might. Might just be a hater yeah i think and just real quick like so yeah. his rushing market share for the team has been 21 percent, 28 percent, and 18 percent. and really last year the big difference was the designed rushing plays um you know we're at 13 percent where it had been 19 percent the year before some of that is due to the games he missed but his scramble rates have really been you know he's what he was at 4.7 percent, then eight percent then last year five and a half percent so it's kind of like you split the difference on that. If you think he's going to scramble, maybe, you know, somewhere between probably around 6%, like if you just split it. Um, but I agree. I wouldn't, I don't think you can account. You can't look at Kyler the same way you do Lamar Jackson, who you could easily pencil Lamar in for 25 to 30% of the team's rushing attempts. And like nobody would blink an eye. If you're projecting Kyler for over like 20%, I think you're probably starting to stretch it. Twain's QB three, my QB four, the one, the only Lamar Jackson, man, Every, you know, if you guys have been listening to Dwayne and I for a while and you caught our kind of in-season preview uh, weekly podcast, we we and everyone else were so ready for the second half explosion from Lamar last year. You know, it seemed like the schedule was setting up right. And just based on what he'd been doing as a passer, once we got some of that rushing touchdown regression going in a better direction for us, it seemed like Lamar could be, you know, a quote-unquote league winner down the stretch. Obviously wasn't able to do that due to injuries. So Dwayne, Lamar, you know, pretty... Interesting situation going on. The Ravens have brought up that they want to extend him, but Lamar, as he was in the draft, is his own agent, so I'm not exactly sure what the status is on that. But at a minimum, 2022, we're once again looking at the focal point of the Ravens' offense. I believe it was Taze Seth who does fantastic work with PFF. I think I saw Eric Eager quote tweeted, so if I'm messing up whoever actually made this at first, 
My bad. But basically, the Ravens and the injuries they dealt with last year were just so much more valuable than any other team out there. So I think the Ravens are going to be a popular, sharp, you know, rebound candidate. You look at the, uh, you know, AFC North, and yeah, I know Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow, awfully scary. But in terms of just full, complete teams, I do think the Ravens have a case as the best overall squad in the division. Obviously, Lamar is a major reason why. And Dwayne, maybe it is as simple as this. The best version of Lamar Jackson, which we saw in 2019, is the best full season fantasy football quarterback we have literally ever seen, simply in terms of fantasy points per game. We got Hollywood, we got Bateman, we got Mark Andrews. I guess the one, and I'm guessing this is kind of why you have Kyler over Lamar. We know Lamar probably has a slightly higher rushing floor, but let's face it, Kyler does seem to be at a slightly higher level passing the ball. And with Lamar and with all these quarterbacks, you know, it is tough to assume that they're going to keep on keeping on quite as ridiculously on the ground moving forward throughout their careers. Is that basically the difference between Kyler and Lamar right now? The rushing is pretty close. Passing might be a little bit wider. Yes. And and the trend, and I give Lamar the edge, right, in, in rushing. Like if we look at Lamar and we extrapolate his um, seasons to 17 games, which is so annoying. And we love we love an extra game of football, but now I have to go, you know, I have to add something to everything I'm doing to be like, okay, well, if this had been seven, how do we compare apples to apples, right? But if you look at Lamar Jackson, you extrapolate out 17 games over his career, 1,367 yards rushing, 1,139, 1,087 last year is where he would have been had he played, you know, you know, again, it's not necessarily exactly where it would be, but extrapolating, you get the picture over a thousand yard rushings every season. So we just need a full season from Lamar. Now the problem for Lamar, it's the opposite of Kyler Murray in the passing game. He's gone down each year as PFF passing grade has dropped from 85.3 to 76.9 to 65.9. So my guess is, Ian, they, I love what they've surrounded him with, right? We liked Bateman last year. Marquise Hollywood Brown still gets too much disrespect on his name. Yeah. The guy's a good player. He can stretch the field, all the things you want. And then you have an elite tight end and Mark Andrews. So when you have three elite options like that, and potentially J.K. Dobbins working a little bit out of the backfield, we got to get a coaching narrative in here. You know, it's going <laughs> to, you know, those main three weapons, though, create a lot of problems for defenses. And so to see Jackson, you know, even last year, uh, you know, continue to move downward in passing grade, that was a bit concerning. His touchdowns per attempt in his best year, 9%, which we knew wasn't sustainable. But then in 2020, he threw a touchdown 6.9% of his passing attempts. And last year, that dropped all the way to 4.2%, which is much more towards the league average. And his interceptions have gone up every year, 1.5% to 2.4% to 3.4%. So for Jackson, there are just some concerning trends at this point around his ability in the passing game. No questions at all around his ability as an elite rusher. I just think at this point, we kind of have to call it what it is. To your point, I don't think he carries the upside that Kyler does as a passer who's consistently improved, but we know what rushing yards can do for a quarterback. Look, Lamar still has QB1 overall upside. Like, yep. dude, if you throw up that um, the chart that you had up, like, look at his, look at his points per drop back. There's still, <laughs> you know, the one that I with our ranks on oh, right, right. like it's absolutely insane like if you see the dark Ooh. blue the eye column like you know and you see trey lance is the same but the trey lance on a super small sample size lamar jackson that's over the last three years Ooh. so that look at him versus josh allen his points per drop back in fantasy 0.75 versus 0.58 so lamar jackson despite everything we just said about you know the de the deterioration in the passing game if he's healthy for 17 games there's a really good chance he's the qb1 overall 
And it's kind of like if there is someone that is due for actually finding some more uh, luck as a rusher getting into the end zone, it probably is Lamar Jackson, man. One of the craziest uh, stats I found today, you can check out my article on pff.com. I went through all all 32 starting quarterbacks, one good stat, one bad stat, um, almost all, you know, for fantasy purposes because, you know, it's my job to kind of do all this fantasy stuff uh, with Lamar. He has fewer rushing touchdowns over the last three years than Ryan Tannehill, man. Like it just hasn't been good luck for him finding the end zone yeah he runs you know up and down the field between the 20s no problem but just two touchdowns on 133 rush attempts last year he had seven a couple years you know in 2020 and 2019 but man like it would not shock us at all to see Lamar find the end zone double digit times as a rusher that could be his path back to overall QB1 status yeah I think you have to project him from like for like five to six you know I, 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 I don't see how we can't but yeah I agree with that after that, closing out your tier two, actually my QB two and QB three, because I think I just trust the passing upside a little bit more than the extra boost we're getting on the ground. Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. These are actually the top two quarterbacks in NFL history and fantasy points per game. Mahomes being one, Herbert being two. Dwayne, I, you know, I'll take Patrick Mahomes over Justin Herbert, you know, in real life moving forward. I do think he's better, but there are more question marks with Mahomes versus Herbert, at least entering 2022. Obviously not having Tyreek there makes a huge difference. Now I did go back and look at Mahomes's, you know, short four game sample without Tyreek Hill back in um, 2019. I believe it was weeks like two through five, right after Sammy Watkins had, you know, his token week one explosion. He was still damn good during that stretch. Mahomes, QB1. QB3, QB11, and QB12. I think the difference and what I think what can make or break, you know, Herbert versus Mahomes is the deep ball. We know both these guys can throw the ball, you know, over them mountains, you know, make Uncle Rico proud and all that. But with Mahomes, man, looking back to 2018, since he's been a full-time starter, easily number one in passing yards, 4,595 uh, 4, on passes, throwing at least 20 yards downfield and, and tied with Russ with touchdowns at 48. So as we've talked about, you know, some of the stable quarterback metrics, downfield passing isn't exactly the most stable. I'm not convinced that Mahomes is going to maintain this, you know, just sorcery downfield without the league's single best field stretcher out there. Now Chiefs can talk about wanting to trade for, you know, a top wide receiver. Reminds me of that meme where like, you know, the guy like shoots the dude and then he's like, how did this happen? Like, yeah, guys traded away a top wide receiver. Now you need another one. Like crazy how that freaking works with Herbert, though, you would like to think that he's maybe still extending, but we can't necessarily take it for granted, man. Last season, in terms of total percentage of passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield, there was Herbert, and then behind him, only guys that were basically less risk-adverse, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tua, and Daniel Jones. Not a great group. You don't need to throw downfield to be a great fantasy quarterback. We saw Drew Brees do this, you know, for really the entirety of his career. But man, if we're talking about a top five, you know, quarterback, I would like someone that's able to just completely dominate in all three areas of the field. It seems like Herbert, at least for the year 2022, has fewer question marks than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and I just like the weapons overall better. Like, so look, I mean, if you look at this tier, you've got Allen and Murray and Jackson who all have the rushing ability. Uh, and then Allen and Murray obviously have the passing ability on top of that. Jackson is the elite rushing ability, but Herbert and Mahomes, like, look, 
the way I look at them is they both have the upside, right, to hit the huge passing numbers that we're probably wanting from a Tom Brady and, and Joe Burrow, but they also run the ball enough, right? They're above average on the ground. Like each guy is going to be a threat to run for 300 yards. Well, that's 30 fantasy points. If each of them gets two to three, you know, rushing touchdowns, that's another 12 to 18 points. You're talking about 50 points. You know, there could be a 50 points difference in just that that one thing versus what you're going to get with Brady and Burrow. So if Brady or Burrow had that same capability on the ground, like they would be in the same tier with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. The other criteria I have, you kind of see it to the right, but the other thing you'll notice with Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes, they're all pass-heavy teams. They're on teams that they don't care what the game script says. They're still going to continue to throw the football. I do think that with the Chargers, there's a slight chance that we see it go down a little bit because they've improved their defense through free agency, adding J.C. Jackson, you know, and then, you know, we could see potential, you know, what are they going to do in the draft? We don't know. They asked if they added Khalil Mack as an additional edge rusher to go along with Bosa. But at the same time, it wasn't like the Chargers were playing from behind all the time last year. So, you know, it's not like a situation where, oh, all of a sudden we think they're going to get so much better that now they're playing ahead way more. Like it could it could be a marginal change even though they've made all these upgrades. So I'm not too worried about it. But I think those are the common traits among my you know top quarterbacks. They have something at least they can add on the ground, right? If they're not an elite rusher, they play in a very pass-happy offense. And they happen to have proven it over the last two years, like Herbert and obviously you know Mahomes for longer. Again, big five, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes. I think you'd be hard-pressed to bump any of those guys out of it or bump anyone else into it. Those should be the industry's consensus top five. Dwayne, I don't think it's quite as consensus afterwards, but F it, man, at least in terms of our rankings, it seems to be. So uh, let's go <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking it. at him on the screen. I'm like, wow, we're like one off on Aaron Rodgers and Stafford. <laughs> Uh, Dwayne and I were not holding hands as we were making our uh, respective ranks. Again, I just think um, a lot of the similarities are probably because, uh, you know, I talk to Dwayne more than probably anyone else uh, in my life these days. So it is what it is. But just looking through it, at least for me, Dwayne, apparently for you the same. I don't see too much, you know, to pick apart here. We have Tom Brady as QB6. The reigning um, QB3, I think he finished because Justin Herbert had the bonkers week 18, but reigning top three quarterback. There's nothing, and there really hasn't been anything about Brady over the past, uh, you know, decade plus that we've been wondering when could the end be coming. Nothing about the film last year, nothing about his arm strength, you know, is seemingly indicative that a drop-off is near. The only thing, the only argument I think you can make against Brady is like, He's going to be 45 by week one. How much longer is father time, you know, going to be on this vacation here? But again, not something I'm willing to just hang my hat on. I think we've been burned by that enough over the years. Right behind Tom Brady is Joe Burrow. I would love to potentially put Burrow ahead of Brady. I don't think we'd be shocked if that would happen, Dwayne. But we just can't assume that he's going to have enough volume to really get there. Because last year, yeah, they opened it up down the, down the stretch run of the season. And we saw that in the playoffs up until the Super Bowl. And the last two games that Burrow played, I mean, he was the overall QB1 in back-to-back weeks. So we know he has seemingly overall QB1 upside if he gets the opportunity to chuck the rock around. But man, and we, we talked about this throughout the year, it just wasn't a ton of volume for him. I mean, if you look at the Bengals last year, 13th in pass play rate and non-garbage time situations, he only threw the ball more than 35 times in six of 16 regular season starts. He hit that in eight of 10 starts as a rookie. I would guess that coming back from the knee 
having an extra year, you know, look, he was just the most accurate and efficient quarterback in football. Um, shout out you and the QB annual for sending out that nice uh, tweet. Everyone, if you do want to subscribe to PFF, get a subscription, you can check out our always awesome PFF QB annual. That shows that to all levels of the field, Joe Burrow, truly uh, the NFL's most accurate quarterback. But man, Dwayne, I'm just not totally convinced that Burrow's could be throwing the rock around quite as much as Brady. The rushing floors for both are pretty non-existent. You could talk yourself into Burrow a little bit more. Ultimately, it just seems like Brady deserves a slight edge because we really know that he's going to be, you know, leading the league's most pass-heavy offense, and we don't know that for sure with uh, the Bengals. Yeah, I think you hit most of the pertinent like points there. Like, so for me, like in the simplest terms, when I look at Brady, I know he's going to be in a pass-heavy offense. Yeah. Because again, we we've seen what the Bucs have done now two years with Tom Brady. No matter what the game script is, just like we talked about with a couple of the other guys. Like, if, if Tom Brady had any kind of rushing floor, like he would be in the next tier above with Mahomes and Herbert and those guys. But because he is still a statue, you don't get any plus. You know, you might get a couple of hurry-up touchdowns right on the ground from Brady, you know, in the rushing department. But other than that, you're not getting anything. With Burrow, I do think you do get slightly more. You, you know, if you say, hey, Brady, you know, ballpark it, going to get 50 yards rushing. Burrow, I mean, you could get 150. You could get something like that. Um, you know, the year before his rookie season, I want to say he almost got to 200, and that was in a shortened season. Last year, he was still nursing, you know, coming back from injury. But to your point, I have the Bengals down as being a pass-balanced offense this season and I still think even if we thought it was going to be pass heavy it's not going to be enough to move Burrow into the next tier up but it would be enough that you consider you could consider Burrow over Brady because I think you can't argue that at this point that Burrow like and I even graded Burrow's weapons as great and I graded Brady's as good now most most teams grade out as average so there's not very many teams I even give a good or a great to and so with Burrow like he is one of I think I have one Two, I think I have, no, I have three teams that I have graded as having great weapons for their passing attack, and Burrow is one of those. Is that a, is that with Gronk or without? I'd almost say they're pretty close, man. Yeah, I yeah, I still think it's slightly below because because we're gonna have Godwin coming out of the gate is okay. probably not gonna be healthy. Evans is getting up there in age. Gronk is up there in age. So when I look at Burrow, it's besides Boyd, it's ascending talent with T Higgins with Jamar Chase. And then Boyd is still younger than some of the other guys on on you know the Bucks. So I mean it's close, but I mean I was pretty stingy with giving out greats like I intentionally you know was trying to be. And also Russell Gage is not Antonio Brown, contrary to uh, you know popular belief on some of the uh, fantasy football interwebs. Brady Burrow QB six QB seven. After that. Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, you know, kind of making their own, you know, mini tier within a tier getting, um, oh my gosh, what was the Christopher Nolan movie, Dwayne, with a bunch of crazy stuff happening? We're going dreams within dreams, tears within tears, inception fantasy football <laughs> oh, ranking inception, going yeah. on here. So with Dak, here's the thing with Dak, we saw in 2020, like the pace he was putting on those first five games was truly up there with 2019 Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray before his shoulder injury. Like he was just putting up one bonkers week after another. And then we saw that in week one of 2021, he tossing the ball 60 plus times against the Buccaneers. It seemed like nothing was going to change, but Dwayne, we did see particularly earlier in the season when the Cowboys were able to dominate some lesser defenses, they were willing to run the ball, not have Dak throw the ball 40 plus times a game. And we no longer saw Dak in just his rushing floor, man. So 
We're not getting that out of Russell Wilson, really, at this point either. Russ last year, um, career lows in rush attempts per game and rushing yards. Coming back from the injury probably had a big, uh, you know, thing to do with that. But at this point, 33 years old, I think it's safe to say that Russ's, you know, best rushing days are behind him. So it comes down to, you know, Dak and Russ really as passers. I would guess Dak maybe has a little better chance on the ground. I thought last year, just from, you know, eyeball test, it seemed like the first, you know, eight weeks or so of the season, Dak really still wasn't healthy. He wasn't, you know, looking to run at all. Now, I don't think he's ever going to get back to first five years of his career. Like if there's six guys between him and the first down marker, he tries to lower his shoulder and get it anyway. And, you know, we saw that Seattle playoff game. You know, the guy does manage to make some stuff happen uh, when he really puts his mind to it. I don't think we're ever getting that guy back, but, you know, maybe at least uh, something a little bit higher than what we saw in 2021. Dak versus Russ Dwayne. It just seems like the Cowboys might have the more fantasy-friendly voluminous passing game. Yeah, and I think it could be close between these two. Um, You know, I I agree with you on Dak. The thing I like with Dak is if you look at the last three years, now you kind of kind of take 2020 with a grain of salt because I'm I'm extrapolating to 17 games, but still (laughs) 5,200 yards in 2019 in a 17-game season. In 2020, 6,300, fine. (laughs) Just call it 5,200 if you want. Like, don't slap (laughs) me via YouTube, people. And then Dak again last year was on track for 4,700. You know, he did miss the one game. So, I mean, basically we've seen him right be right there at a 5,000-yard passer. And I don't, you know, I think there's reason. I think 5,000 is within his range of outcomes. I think that you could give him a slight bump down with the loss of Amari Cooper, knowing Michael Gallup could be slow to start the season. You really could just be leaning into C.D. Lamb um, along with Blake not Blake Jarwin, uh, Dalton Schultz, maybe you get a little bit out of James Washington, but it's not like Washington, you know, has really done a lot to wow us. So I think 5,000 is within range though, but I do think it's a pass balance offense, most likely for both of these guys. Um, But with Wilson, like I, I do, you know, I was torn on these two. I'll be honest. This was one where I nearly put Wilson in front of Dak, but the bottom line is Dak over the last three years has averaged 21.9 points per game, 26.7 and then 21. If you look at Russell Wilson, I'm going to pull it up real quick. If you look at Russ Wilson, he's been at 21, 23.7, and 17.8 over the last three seasons. If you will go back one season before that, 19.3. So they're going to be pretty close. But I think overall, I I do like Russell Wilson's, uh, you know, I like his complete, the complete picture of his passing game and all oh, yeah. the weapons. I like better than what Dak has right now. Because look, while we can argue about, you know, Sutton and we can argue about Judy and them needing to take a step forward, I mean, we still need CeeDee Lamb to take the next big step forward. We think he's going to do it, but it's in the range of outcomes that he doesn't. Like, what if all of a sudden CeeDee Lamb is really just a 22, 23% target share guy, Yuck. you know, that can't really turn into more of an alpha? If that is the case, you know, then that's going to be problematic for Dak. So anybody that wants to put Russell Wilson above Dak, I would be fine with it. I also think that Russell Wilson... The other reason I nearly slid Russ ahead of Dak in the ranks is I still think that if I had to pick between the two and you told me, like, who has the higher rushing upside, I think it is still Russ. Yes, last year with Wilson, he was on pace for 226 yards through 17 games. But you only have to go back one season before that. It was 543. The season before that, 363. The season before that, 400, 623. So I won't keep going because you get to the point where, hey, Russ is really young. What's the point in the numbers that I'm giving you? But the bottom line being like, I think three to 500 yards rushing is well within Russ Wilson's you know range. And so if all of a sudden Lamb doesn't take a big step forward 
and Russell Wilson does rush for, say, 400 yards rushing, he's going to finish ahead of Dak. So it's really close between the two. And look, the ADP right now on Russell Wilson means that I'm going to I'm gonna have Russell Wilson on far more rosters than Dak. And as I've already brought up several times on this podcast, I'm sure I'll bring it up several more. Absolutely love stacking the Broncos right now because all that uncertainty is making them awfully affordable. We know Russ is going to put up some big numbers. We can argue about QB8 versus QB9 versus QB10. He's affordable as a low-end QB1. Sutton and Judy, depending on the draft you're in, are going as wide receiver threes to even wide receiver fours. Tim Patrick is way too cheap for the 70th year in a row. Albert O is looking like a low-end tight end one. If you're really bullish on him, he's, you know, again, awfully affordable. The whole offense is, as opposed to the Cowboys, where we have Schultz creeping in into the top half of the tight end. CeeDee's going to probably be gone by round two, round three at the absolute latest. Even Michael Gallup could feasibly be going ahead of some of these other Broncos receivers in certain drafts. We haven't seen Russ like fall off physically as a rusher. Maybe we do see a new offense really tap uh, back into that. Uh, going into 2020, I remember looking at it and expecting Russ to not really rebound as a rusher because the Seahawks just quit caring. He had seven total rushing yards on design runs in all of 2019. Like truly, some of the malpractice that was going on with using <laughs> Russ down the stretch uh, in Seattle, just truly brutal to see, particularly from a fantasy perspective, but yeah, when things are this close, when there is like a tiebreaker situation, I will lean towards continuity. And I think that's what Dak has and credit to him. I mean, he's been one of the highest upside fantasy quarterbacks of the last two years overall, in terms of just rate of top five performances of quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, and number five, Dak Prescott. So keep in mind that, you know, even removing some of that rushing goodness, uh, Dak still has that 5,000 plus passing upside. Uh, Dwayne, one of the cool things I like in your ranks, and you all can find these on pff.com as well, Dwayne's publishing this on Wednesday, is you have kind of some arbitrage notes about just, you know, quarterbacks that are cheaper who could maybe actually end up giving you, uh, you know, a discounted version of one of the top dogs. For Dak, you have as arbitrage Justin Herbert and Russ arbitrage Kyler Murray. Makes sense to me. Yeah, and it's I just, it's very high level, right? It's like, you know, I, I when I look at, you know, Herbert, it's 5,000 yards passing, 300 yards rushing. Dak could do that. Like, he could yeah. hit 5,000 and 250, and you get a player much, you know, I don't know, it's not much later, but you get a player that's, you know, a few rounds later than where you're getting Herbert right now. And then for Wilson, is really Kyler Murray. I mean, if you can hit that 4,500 yards, you know, passing and get close to 500 yards rushing, it's not the same upside that you probably have with Kyler. But if you look at, like, Kyler's median outcome, like, that's really what Russ will be giving. So I feel like our first 10 quarterbacks here, everyone except Brady and kind of Burrow, they give you some level of dual threat upside, but Brady and Burrow, we know they could like lead the league in all passing categories and it wouldn't exactly shock us. So you're either incredibly elite as a rusher or passer, or you're a dual threat, uh, you know, alien again, and we can just expect um, them to kind of outperform a lot of these other quarterbacks we're going to talk about. What's interesting though is actually, okay, one through nine, once we get to our QB 10 now, Jalen Hurts, this is the first one that I think is really interesting in terms of what the ceiling is, Dwayne, because, yeah, we've seen it with Hertz. The guy is a ridiculous QB1 machine. You know, it took until like week 13 or 14 this last season uh, for him to actually post a full start without a top 12 finish. And if you look at him over the past two years, he is actually number one in the entire NFL in total top 12 finishes 
per start, 74% over the past two years. Aaron Rodgers at 72%, only other quarterback above 70%. With that said, Dwayne, one of the reasons why, you know, at least myself is not high on Jalen Hurts at all in Dynasty Land, we saw what happened in this offense, and that was Jalen Hurts could not throw the ball at a high enough level for the first seven weeks of last year. And because of that, the Eagles trying to win football games, which, yeah, that's kind of their job. They should be doing that. Reverse course went to the league's most run-heavy offense and really just made Hurts more of a gadgety type quarterback uh, regardless of if you think he can you know take a step forward as a passer and beyond so Dwayne I don't know that we have you know the Lamar Jackson Kylo Murray overall QB1 ceiling for Hertz even though he does kind of have that same sort of rushing upside am I wrong here like could we be looking at Hertz as just scratching the surface and the best is still to come as a passer I mean, I think, you know, he's the arbitrage play on Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, 0.62 points per drop back, you know, which was number one in the league last year for just last year um, for quarterbacks with, with had enough, you know, drop backs to qualify. Um, and he's going to play in an offense that should look more like the Ravens. It's going to be more of a run heavy offense. You know, even though we saw the Ravens throw more last year, I would expect them to be, a, you know, swing a little bit more back towards the rushing this year. I don't think Hertz gives you that 1,000 yard upside season because he's not as explosive, which is what you see in the running game from Jackson. Um, but as far as, you know, an overall passer, like he made big strides forward. You know, I was kind of surprised actually when I went and looked at it. His PFF passing grade went from a 57.5 to a 73.4. That's really huge. He took a huge leap in his real completion percentage 52% to 61%. Um, if you look at his touchdown or his interceptions per attempt, those went down from 27 to 2.1%. So, I mean, he did some nice things. It's not like he became this elite passer, but he actually probably made a bigger step forward than like the common narrative out there, right? Most people, when you read about Jalen Hurts, are like, oh, he just sucks as a passer. And I'm not, look, we're not comparing him to the guys that are ahead of him on the list as passers, but he does enough in the passing game, even in a run heavy offense because he does run the ball so much that I think, you know, it's just hard to, to be too low on him. I think the biggest concern we probably have with Hurts, Ian, at least for me, is I do worry. I think, is there just a slight uncertainty? Do they draft someone? You know, are they willing to maybe bench him at some point in the season? Um, you know, last year I didn't really think that was a big risk coming into 2021. But the further along you get with Jalen Hurts, if things aren't going the right for the Eagles, could we see something where, you know, they just decide to move away from him, even if it's for a couple of games and then decide to go back to him? Um, so I think that's the concern that I have with Hurts. I think he carries a little bit more risk than most of the other guys in the tier as far as could he potentially end up on the bench at some point. And that's the main reason why he is one of my bigger uh, just dynasty football fades at this point. I mean, again, we talked about just the overall reverse course change in the offense. I get it. Jalen Hurts is almost impossible to rank outside your top 12 quarterbacks on a week-to-week -week basis. But, Dwayne, so is Taysom Hill, man. So, like, I'm not <laughs> right. saying Hurts is as bad as Taysom Hill. It's just, like, we need to keep in mind to some if extent this class, the job security. If this class was loaded at quarterback, with the firepower that the Eagles have and draft capital, they have three picks in the first round. Yep. People, we would be petrified that Jalen Hurts was about to be replaced. It just so happens that there's this is just a really weak quarterback class. And so some of the guys that potentially could be in play, you know, for the Eagles could get pushed up the board. And so they very well might take a quarterback with any one of their three picks. And I think that's what's working in favor for Hurts this season. Now the big, the big disagreement here. 
I have Matthew Stafford, QB 11. You have him, QB 12. We have Rodgers and Stafford flip-flop. Now, your, for your weapons, uh, you know, kind of rating Aaron Rodgers is terrible. Matthew Stafford is good. It seems inevitable the Packers are going to add receivers at some point, but my God, Dwayne, like they're certainly taking their time uh, replacing Devontae Adams, that's for sure. You would like to think they're going to, you know, target some of these high round receivers in the draft. But yeah, well, I guess believe it when we see it at this point. You know, what's funny is I've already flipped these guys in my ranks. I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the version I sent to you that was just this morning, which I've changed since then. And it's just because of what you just said. It's like, as I sat there and thought about it, I'm like, okay, if I look at, you know, everything about last year and I look at everything about the team structures going into this year, like there's just no reason if Aaron Rodgers still gave us that upside as far as, you know, uh, giving you maybe 300 yards on the ground, like that would be enough to maybe move yeah. him ahead of Stafford. But he just doesn't give you that anymore. I'm betting on Sean McVay, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson as a difference maker between two quarterbacks that we're expecting to still throw the hell out of the ball and we're getting zeros and rushing from both. I would just point out with Rodgers, 7-0 without Devontae Adams under Matt LaFleur. Rodgers has been a little more volatile than expected, which, yeah, he's losing probably the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. I would expect him not to be quite as good in fantasy land without him in those seven starts, QB 24, QB 12, QB 1, QB 3, QB 7, QB 3, and most recently QB 15. So still a very high ceiling there. I'm not so sure the 2022 version of Rogers necessarily going to be quite as good though. And Hey man, like without Devante, it wouldn't be the most ridiculous thing if they do focus a little more on Jones on Dylan and that running game. So I think Stafford has the better offense, probably the higher overall volume ceiling. And I'm willing to bet on that over Rogers and fantasy land, obviously still give us a air on in real life. We have concluded our top 12 quarterbacks, Dwayne, after this, might as well put him in his own tier. You have him with two other guys, but Deshaun Watson, we don't know. And I don't know that I'm willing to take a big risk on him in fantasy drafts as long as this suspension remains so freaking unclear, man. Like, at this point, QB 13. So if you're able to get him as your second quarterback or, you know, maybe he's your first quarterback and you're just going to stream someone down the stretch and you're only using a double-digit round pick on him, that's fine, man. But just holding up. In, in today's NFL, we have on a week-to-week basis with all the, you know, rushing going on at the position, you know, 15 to 20 viable quarterbacks. None of them, hardly any of them are as good as Deshaun Watson. I'm just not so sure I'm going to be signing up to devote one of my roster spots to a guy that, quite possibly could be out for at least half of the season and is entering the reigning, I think third or fourth most run heavy offense in the league with Amari Cooper, David Njoku. Okay. There's some pieces, man. A lot of question marks for Deshaun Watson. Why not just go get one of these uh, top 12 guys before him or go ahead and take a chance on a Lance on a field. You don't have to bench for the, for half the season and you arguably have similar upside. Yeah. I think Russell Wilson is the one that makes it really tricky for me. Um, yeah, I think on a per game basis, Watson is going to be better than Wilson. But with the with the upside that we think Wilson could carry by coming back some in the rushing game, with the passing weapons he's going to have and the step forward that he could take there, like once you discount six games or eight games or whatever you think it is that Watson's going to be missing, it's like just so much easier. It picked ninety three in underdog right now, which is only ten picks before Watson at one thirteen. You get a full season, you know, of, of a player that we think can probably score 21 to 22 points versus what do we think we're going to get from Watson? Maybe he gives us 23, you know, 24. Like, it's just not enough of a difference, like, to go all in. Like, 
if the Browns had another weapon in the receiving game and That's they the were not thing. such a run heavy offense. So like when you look at Watson, like I already moved the Browns, you know, to balanced in offense with Watson. They're run heavy right now. I made an assumption you had Deshaun Watson. You're going to throw the ball a little bit more. Like coaches should be smart enough to figure that out, but it, they may not like they could say run heavy. Exactly. Yeah. They could say run heavy. Like I'm assuming that as Sigmund Bloom would say, the assumption of rational coaching doesn't always work. Um, you know, I, I like to think Stefanski is probably a smart enough guy, you know, to figure that out. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. But if they had another legit weapon, because look, let's be honest, look, Njoku, he could end up being, he could end up being solid. He could also end up being nothing. Like he's been, he's, he was a first round pick, but he's been in the league a while. David Njoku has never shown us that he's a great player. Now all of a sudden he's just going to be one because of Deshaun Watson. That usually isn't the way that it works. Amari Cooper, we've talked about, very nice player, but he's not an elite receiver. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, total unknown. We don't know what else, you know, the Browns may do. But right now, I see one really wide receiver two is the way I would think of 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 Amari Cooper. He's a nice wide receiver, NFL wide receiver two, and he's leading the Browns. Like, so I just, it's tough for me to get overly excited, you know, about Watson. I do think if you're going to go for him, you know, I on those teams that I build, if you're building multiple teams, I wouldn't be like overly concerned. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to try to draft like five quarterbacks, even in best ball. I'm still probably going to limit it to three and just kind of let it all hang out and be like, hey, if this works, it works. But I wouldn't go overboard. And I think on those teams where you draft him, and he, especially if he's your first quarterback that you take, um, you just have to be okay with it. Like you know that you're either just going to sink or swim based on what the verdict is, you know, around his off-field stuff. First or last, baby. All right, let's say he had no, absolutely no suspension. NFL comes out and says, yeah, wasn't ruled guilty. We're not giving him a suspension because that's just their decision for better or for worse. Would you move him up to? He'd be in our top five. He'd move up into the top. At the the lowest, he'd be six. Yeah, I would say. He'd definitely be ahead of Brady and Burrow. I think you could argue... How? I mean, you yeah, because can... overarching zoom out, he would now fit the criteria above, you know, 4,500, you know, passing yards with an upside five to 750 rushing yards. Like he yep. would fit that mold. So, I mean, he would be similar to, I have him on here as the arbitrage Kyler Murray. You know, if all of a yep. sudden he were to play all the games, you'd be getting Kyler Murray, you know, at pick, you know, 110 or whatever. Yeah. When he's on the field, Inarguably, top five fantasy quarterback, top six. Okay, fine. Uh, and I think probably the same is also true in real life. We will see what happens with the rest of that situation. Same tier, same rankings for us once again. Trey Lance, QB 14. Justin Fields, QB 15. Dwayne, I think when the offseason started, we were both on a similar, hey, Fields over Trey Lance type of situation. Now fast forward to March 29th, the Bears have just basically declined to actually add any sort of real new weapons to the offense. And people can say like, oh, okay, what happened when Allen Robinson was there last year? He didn't do anything with that. Okay, just because Allen Robinson didn't have a good year in Matt Nagy's broken offense with a rookie year version of Justin Fields under center doesn't mean we can't give Justin Fields more than one solid, really solid. I'm not trying to insult Darnell Mooney. We can have more than one great wide receiver in an offense in the year 2022. We're still not sold on Cole Komet. I mean, he took away Tariq Cohen, which I think is probably a net positive. It means you're not being so predictable with the way he's used. But let's face it, Tariq Cohen, when he's healthy and at his best, he's a legitimate weapon in the passing game as well. 
The Bears have done nothing for Justin Fields so far in this offseason. Now, his last four extended appearances with no injuries last year, four top 10 finishes. But, Dwayne, we did see Lance have a little bit more of that, you know, willingness to take off and run. And even though I don't think he's nearly as polished as a passer as Justin Fields at this point, he's got Debo Samuel, uh, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk to toss the ball to. So, if you look at... Lance and Fields passing-wise, you're going to see, you know, adjusted completion rate, PFF passing grade. They're outside the top 30 in almost all these things. But Trey Lance, fifth in yards per attempt. The same category that we see Jimmy Garoppolo continuously leading the league in. Why? Because Kyle Shanahan is a freaking wizard, and it's not freaking that hard sometimes to, you know, toss the ball six inches in front of you to Debo Samuel, let him, you know, take it 70 yards for a score. So Lance, it seems like with the weapons and just that extra rushing upside, deserves a nod over Justin Fields. Yeah, I think Trey Lance is arbitrage Lamar Jackson as well if everything goes right. You know, he's got to win the starting job, but then he's going to be surrounded by these three uh, great weapons. Like, it, they're one of the other... They're one of three teams that I actually labeled as great as far as the weapons surrounding him with Kittle, with Debo Samuel, and with Brandon Ayuk. So I agree. Uh, the Bears have got to do some more. Like for me, Fields is really arbitrage Jalen Hurts. You know, it's a, you know, and you look, Jalen Hurts really has better weapons than Fields. Um, I do think that Fields, though, with what he can do on the ground, you know, like I look at his, you know, I'm looking at him as being a 3,000 yard passer with 750 yards rushing. You know, so when you look at Hertz, he's 3,500, 750. You look at Trey Lance, that's 3,500, 750. That's the club I have him in as well. I just think, you know, he has the upside to get further up there just because of the weapons around him. Um, but both are Jalen Hurts arbitrage, but I think Trey Lance does have the upside to end up trying to push for the Lamar Jackson tier if he can win the starting job, which Jimmy Garoppolo is still on their roster right now. So we are not out of the woods as far as what's going to happen with Trey Lance. If we get to, like we talked about before, you get to August and Jimmy G is still on the roster. Um, and you know we're not going to get the info we need to know who the real starter is you know, for the season, like just because Shanahan doesn't share that stuff with the beat writers. So it's going to be a lot of doubt. Um, again, like we talked about before, Trey Lance, not the time to be drafting him. Wait, let that doubt set in. Because right now he's going pick 76. He's going 10 ahead of Jalen Hurts, who we know is the starter in Philly. He's going, um, you know, Russell Wilson's at pick 93. I mean, so Trey Lance right now is probably at his absolute ceiling as far as what he's going to cost in the offseason, um, because even if everything breaks his way and Jimmy G gets traded, I just don't see his ADP going up. I think people are just already assuming that. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan just not even sure which uh, quarterbacks he's going to have, you know, with a pulse by the time weeks one, week one is around. Why would he go ahead and give us any information that he didn't need to, I guess? All right, guys, before we continue going, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors. First and foremost, how about Manscaped? The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. That is fast, people. My fast, I maintain, Dwayne, my fastest day on this planet. I could run a 4740, but 482 officially is all your boy was able to do. Just not fast enough, uh, you know, when you're also a sub 200 pound linebacker. Uh, that's what Division Three athletes are made of. But anyway, support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. And also, shout-out to PFF. You can get 25% off any PFF subscription 
All you got to do is use code FANTASY. What can you get with our PFF sub? I'm happy you asked. All of our locked article content, the NFL Draft Guide, completely unlocked mock draft simulator. We now have player trades in there. You can even force the trade. So if you want to be, if you're a Cowboy fan, you're tired of, tired of Ezekiel Elliott, go ahead and trade him, you know, for the number one overall pick. Go ahead and trade him for Saquon Barkley. Whoever the hell you want, you can force it and make it happen. Or do a cool, you know, Madden GM mode and actually try to do realistic uh, trades. Dwayne, I know you were spending hours on the mock draft simulator later uh yesterday as well. i got a two i got a, i got a two from pete carroll like i at <laughs> least tried to i at least tried to target a team i thought that like maybe there's a small chance they would accept it and i just thought oh pete carroll you know got to run the ball um so i i offered it and i got pick 41 from the seahawks uh yeah so that was nice add an extra arrow to the quiver for the cowboys in my mock draft all that and so much more code fantasy for 25 percent off any pff sub support the pod support the company just trying to make you a smarter football fan if you can make some money in the meantime why the hell not all right Dwayne. at this point we're through 15 quarterbacks i think uh you know this is going to be the majority of redraft you know starters that people are entering their friend leagues with you know you you probably don't need to draft a second quarterback at this point that doesn't mean we can't go through uh the tiers and just kind of realize what we're getting obviously super flex leagues waiver wire goodness eventually these guys will be eligible Kirk cousins Derek carr ryan Tannehill, different players cousins and Carr. we're not getting any rushing upside ryan Tannehill, as i brought up before someone has more rushing touchdowns than lamar jackson over the past three seasons but i think we've seen enough kind of Borderline QB1 goodness to upside QB2 goodness in the same situation over the past three years to comfortably rank these guys, hey, in the top 20, but not much higher. Yeah, I think they're a great tier to to really pair with the tier before. So if you're going to take Watson, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields, but you also want you know a steady player that could still give you some upside. So if you think about Cousins and Carr and the weapons that they have, you know, they could be the Tom Brady, Joe Burrow arbitrage. Like Kirk Cousins, I mean, 0.53 points per dropback is not bad. That's the same as Dak Prescott. That's better than Joe Burrow over the last two years, less than Joe Burrow last year. It's right at the same as Tom Brady at a five, at 0.54. So you do have a new offensive coordinator. They could run more 11 personnel. You're going to get Irv Smith back. I think there's an argument, right? Kirk Cousins could really have the best fantasy football season that we've seen from Kirk Cousins in the last five years. And he's had some decent years. Derek Carr kind of the same thing he's not really done what Kirk Cousins has done consistently from a points per drop back standpoint but you are adding Devontae Adams we know that Hunter Renfro is going to stay on the field more with Josh McDaniels in town and you have Darren Waller so you have three really different kind of weapons that you can use all over the field that have all demanded double coverage more than most other receivers in the NFL last season and now they're all on one team so I think with Derek Carr same kind of argument even though his points per drop back over the last few years um, averages out the uh, 0.44 but I think both of those guys could give you easily 4,500 yards uh, passing and you know you get the upside to maybe get to a 5,000 yard season just depending on the way things go Tannehill is interesting because like if you look at his points per drop back Ian's 0.61 like that's up there with Hertz at Jalen Jalen Hurts at 0.62 Patrick Mahomes 0.58 you know it just so happens that he lives uh, with Mike Vrabel uh, a run heavy coach not a run balance not a balance a run heavy coach who wants oh. to run the hell out of the ball all the time. And that is part of what gives Tannehill some of his efficiency on a per drop back basis. So those two things do tie back together in some way, shape or form, but it just gives him slightly less edge, you know, as far as 
you know, probably really giving us something that we get excited about versus Carr and Cousins. But he does give you, I think, the solid floor. And there's some sneaky upside with him based on how efficient that he's been. And that's the thing. You're getting a floor with these guys. I would just be shocked if any of them can give us any, like even their best case scenario season, I don't think they're breaking into the top five or six. I'll give Carr the nod over Cousins and over Tannehill because uh, I think the best version of Carr recently has been better than those guys. I mean, Dwayne, we were talking about Carr in the same kind of light as Dak Prescott in the first seven, eight weeks of last season because once we stripped away Dak's rushing ability, Carr was doing a lot of great things when Henry Ruggs was out there forcing defenses to Respect that deep ball first seven weeks of 2021 QB nine QB eight QB 11. Yeah, some duds QB 24 QB 31 back in with QB 12 and QB 14 finishes in those top seven weeks of 2021. And yeah, I would expect Devontae Adams to have a similar impact on the defenses. But once again, I mean, Derek Carr, he's been 18th or worse in every single season of his career in fantasy points per game other than the hey, pretty solid. But, you know, maybe I think when you zoom out a little bit, uh, I would call it arguably a fraudulent 2016 uh, MVP, MVP campaign. He had a lot of wins and close games, and that's great. I'm just saying when you look at yards per attempt and some of the metrics, uh, he was not a top five quarterback that year. That's all. And that's, and that, I, I, that's why I give Cousins the slight edge. I love what you know the weapons look like for Carr, but just with Cousins, we've already seen uh, QB 10, QB 11, QB 17, 11, yeah. 5, 5, 10. And now when he used to run, it was great, man. This dude had 13 rushing scores in three seasons as Washington starter four total times since he joined the Vikings. Like Washington Kirk, man, was a dog. Yeah. But even without that, I mean, you know, that 10 and 11, you know, over the last two years with Minnesota, like, and now we're going to get, you know, with Kevin O'Connell there, I just feel like, you know, there is a chance that we get a little bit more passing out of Kirk Cousins than what we've seen under, you know, the Kubiaks over the last couple of years going to have to wait and see how the early season schedules are shaping up but hey man maybe Kirk ends up being our uh you know bridge quarterback for Deshaun Watson led wasn't he your big like call that. last year wasn't like he your number one like hey draft Kirk Cousins it was it was draft if Kirk Cousins and he'll make us through um you know week to, six or something until <laughs> Trey Lance and Justin Fields were ready to ball so it was like that meme you know had us in the first half everyone was congratulating me after week three or four and then uh you know the actual thesis of the play just never came to fruition but i'll take so it up trey lance was will smith walking up on stage and kirk cousins was chris <laughs> rock getting slapped at week six. <laughs> oh my gosh i guess so and that's your uh, oscar analysis did you watch a second of that Dwayne? because i, I didn't we had it on when that was happening my wife and i both were like whoa like what is going on like because i we weren't even really paying attention and i just you know i actually had my ipad up and i was looking at <laughs> fantasy stuff you know, just kind of getting ready for this week. And then that, but I happened to be looking up when that happened. And I, I at first thought, was it staged? But then when I saw, you know, how pissed he looked when he was yelling at him, like, I was like, oh no, this is real. Like he's really pissed. Once we got like the Japanese and Australian broadcast that didn't uh, <laughs> yeah. mute anything out. Uh, it was pretty easy to tell that it was not a work. Hey, uh, that's smart thinking though. If Will Smith though, slapping and people are like, Oh, why didn't he punch him? You know, how easy it is to break your hands. Like Dwayne, man, if you know, if you're out there in Texas, uh, someone's saying something not so nice to Mrs. McFarlane and you got to get in the way you got to do what you got to do, man. But open hand slap, man. Don't be breaking your hand. Cause we got fancy shit to type. And I can just disrespectful you. though. You know, that's almost just like, I don't even, need to punch you i'm just gonna slap you bro it's the new thing to do i mean you look at nate <laughs> diaz and uh <laughs> nate and nick diaz like they've made the bitch slap like almost more demeaning than actually just getting uh punched in the face so we are not your, advocates uh, of violence even though sometimes we choose violence but 
Hey, I, I think Pat McAfee just uh, said it right, though. Uh, you know, you got to realize in the world, sometimes you'll meet someone that will go up and uh, slap you in the freaking face. So just keep in mind when you're not on Twitter, that is a possible outcome. What do we like to say in fantasy, Dwayne? Like, you know, we like to look at all possible outcomes, you know, for these players. Uh, you got to realize if you're going to talk shit in real life, I guess, even if you're a comedian, uh, you know, you never know when Will Smith's going to come up and uh, smack the shit out of you. So something to keep in mind with that. But that has been your PFF fantasy uh, analysis of the Oscars. <laughs> Dwayne, we have reached our biggest discrepancy in the entire rankings, and that is... What the hell is your deal against Daniel Jones, man? You have him QB 25, not even in the same tier as Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Mac Jones, Malik Willis, and Zach Wilson. I see what you're doing. We got our second-year quarterbacks plus Tua. Obviously, the great uh, leap we're expecting from him, you know, infusing Tyree Kill in that offense. But I think this is the point in the draft where we talked about Cousins, Carr, and Tannehill. Like, they're giving us the nice floor. We could see any of them actually finishing as a top 12 quarterback. I'm not saying the rest of these guys don't have that opportunity, but I think this is the point in the draft where, like, you got to kind of pick one or two of these late-round guys to get behind and be your dart throw. Because, again, as I tried to demonstrate in my article, you know, all 32, one good thing, one bad thing. We can go to Jared Goff and feasibly write out a couple sentences that make him out to be, you know, the prime late round quarterback. So we got to kind of pick and choose someone. And sadly, I'm going to ride and die as my QB three with Daniel Jones this year because of that rushing upside, Dwayne. I mean, if we want to talk about an arbitrage, like poor man's Jalen Hurts or something, I don't see why it couldn't be Daniel Jones. I'm not saying that Tubisky or Mariota or some of these guys aren't even similar athletes, but we have seen Jones run the ball more than them. He's now got Brian uh, Dable there, seemingly going to infuse this offense with some goodness. I'm not trying to confuse Daniel Jones with Josh Allen, but at least unlike Trevor Lawrence, really unlike Tua, unlike Mack, unlike Zach, Unlike Mariota, we've seen a ceiling from Daniel Jones. We had in 2019 more 30-plus point fantasy games than anyone other than Lamar. And even last year, three top 12 finishes in the first four weeks of the year before he got concussed. There are some weapons. Not incredible, but not bad. You rated them out as average. You could maybe, after a couple drinks, get them up there into good. Why go with some of these second-year quarterbacks, Dwayne, who we have seen be terrible? And I think the only reason why we can possibly talk good about them ahead of next year is it's going to be tough for them to be that bad again versus someone like Jones, who is getting the coaching bump and has at least, I believe, shown a little bit higher ceiling so far. Yeah, I've just seen Daniel Jones be terrible for three years. So I'm just taking the quarterbacks that I've seen be terrible for less. <laughs> but but your thought process, like, I'm with you. Like, that's why I have Trubisky, Jones, and Mariota all in that same tier and I'm fine if somebody wants to take one of those guys over the others above. But I think there's a better chance that Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones or Tua or even Zach Wilson surprise us with a second year leap versus, you know, going back to some of the treat, the retreads of Trubisky, Jones and Mariota. So it's just really more of a bet on. I actually know less, to be honest. That's It's that simple. I know less about the guys <laughs> in the tier above, meaning there's a chance that they could still be they could still be good. I feel like I've seen enough from Daniel Jones to know what he is, but you're accurate in, in your thought process around what he is. And you'll, you'll see, I mean, I've got him at 3750 passing, 500 rushing. So that's a bucket. I mean, there's not very, there's not very many guys that I say, hey, uh, you know, if we project him for 17 games, you're going to have to have him at that 500 yards or more in rushing attempts. And so that is obviously a positive for Daniel Jones. We also, like you mentioned, you get a new coordinator there. Maybe that helps. Yeah, I will say, I think some of these reasons, uh, and look, 
Ryan DeBerdick Allen Jones. He is a bad real life quarterback, but Josh Allen was a bad real life quarterback for the first season and a half of his career, and he could still be a good fantasy quarterback under the tutelage of that fine Buffalo Bills organization. Over the past three years, we have only had seven quarterbacks average at least 25 rushing yards per game. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson, and Daniel Jones. I realize this is kind of like that meme of like the soldiers, you know, around the corner and like there's a five or six badasses and there's the one like clown sitting there. I know Daniel Jones is certainly the clown of that group. But again, this is, I think it's a similar, almost similar situation as Denver, just in terms of there's so much uncertainty in the passing game that this is one of the cheapest stacks you can make that you could somewhat see some upside emerging from. I mean, looking at Ricky Seals Jones as a late round tight end, Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay, all these guys are being priced as wide receiver fours or a late round tight end. Um, even Saquon Barkley, Dwayne, who we'll talk about on the running back um, edition of this podcast tomorrow at length, uh, I think I think does give Jones some allure there, if you will. What about Tua, though? You have Trevor Lawrence ahead of Tua. I don't disagree with you. I think the thing a lot of people miss with Tua, he's a zero as a rusher, man, which is unfortunate because he's athletic enough to do it, particularly two years off the hip injury now. But this guy never even rushed for 50 yards at Bama. We haven't seen it in the NFL. Adding Tyreek is great. I'm still not sure Tua possesses a ceiling worth really gambling on. To me, he's almost like a Cousins car type guy, sneakily, who, best case scenario, you're probably not looking at too much better than a borderline QB1 finish. Yeah, I mean, look at my arbitrage. It's Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> You're hoping that basically he picks up efficiency in this improved offense with improved weapons with Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel's now calling the call. And then you've got, you know, the Tyreek Hill addition to go along with what you have with Jalen Waddle. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's like for Tua, I'm not saying like his upside is that he's going to jump up and be, you know, up there by Tom Brady or some of these other guys. He's going to be in a balanced to pass balanced, you know, type offense. You're going to be hoping that you're winning with efficiency and that he's getting the ball to his weapons, letting them go. Think of it as like, you know, uh, Alex Smith before Patrick Mahomes took over. Like, I feel like that's the kind of thing that you're looking for from Tua. After that tier. Yeah, Dwayne, I mean, I think we're pretty much good here. Any of these other guys you have particular thoughts about, you know, after the Trubisky, Jones, Mariota tier, we have guys like Matt Ryan, Jameis, Wentz, Goff, and Davis Mills, all just facing volume concerns. I mean, Jameis actually had a pretty nice fancy points per drop back, but the thing was, I mean, we had the two boom games and then a bunch of just really nothing because the Saints were willing to just run the hell out of the ball for the entire season. I Look, I don't think Andy Dalton's going to be threatening Jameis for a starting job. It's possible, I guess. Again, can't necessarily assume rational coaching. Either way, I don't think Jameis is getting anything close to that, you know, 10-mile-long leash that Bruce Arians gave him in 2019. That was the only season that we've seen Jameis actually consistently put forward high-end QB1 production. Uh, I don't think he's getting that volume. So any of these other guys that you really think there's much of a chance, I, I kind of agree that after the Trubisky-Jones-Mariota tier, this is the point where it's just like, we're not going to draft these guys. Like, maybe if they're just incredibly efficient, the right matchup they can do their thing but at this point we barely have a rushing floor and other than matt ryan like these guys aren't really even guaranteed to start all 17 games yeah and like ryan's in a run heavy scheme and he's really got one weapon you know could paris campbell come along maybe could moali cox come along but but we don't know right now we just know they have Pittman. you know we know that they've got jonathan taylor and so they're going to lean heavily into that. i know naheem hines is going to be way more involved this year supposedly according to the <laughs> coach until, you know, the first week, Jonathan Taylor's ripping off 50 yarders. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, we can't take Jonathan Taylor off the field. <laughs> um, so, no, I don't think there's anything else. Like, I, you know, 
I grouped the rookie quarterbacks all together. Obviously, um, you know, there's a landing, you know, beyond Malik Willis. I think, um, you know, depending on landing spot, you know, we could end up thinking differently about those guys. But I put, you know, the tier of rookies above, um, you know, some of these other guys. So I've, I've got Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter. I've got all of them above Drew Locke and Sam Darnold. Um, I would much rather take one of those guys and just see what happens versus even worry about Drew Locke and Sam Darnold. So, and then you've got mostly all the backups that I've got down below that. So nothing, nothing else really. I think Jameis was the one that was most interesting and you hit on it um, with him and it was really around the points per drop back. But even if you extrapolate last year um, out to 17 games for Jameis, like it just really wasn't going to be um, that great of a season for him. Like it was 17 games would have extrapolated 2,841 yards passing. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, you know, it wasn't like it was going to, you know, be something where he was going to blow the doors off. They were basically trying to not let Jameis Winston beat them. Now we do have Sean Payton moving on, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. You do have Dennis Allen taking over, who is a defensive coordinator by trade. So I think you're going to continue to see the Saints really try to be more of a conservative, we don't want to beat ourselves type of offense. Um, They'll funnel it through Thomas and Kamara, but just not a ton of hope for Winston. I have not yet done my rookie ranks, but we'll get those going here at some point in April before the draft. You do have Malik Willis as your QB 22 overall, but still, you know, behind Mac Jones, not someone that people should necessarily be looking to, you know, load up on necessarily, um, at least in your traditional one QB. But he is the arbitrage to to Fields and Lance. Like Like he's the guy that right now, if you're drafting in best ball, I think Malik Willis is a guy to be, is, to, is the guy to be drafting because you can still get him really late. One, if he goes in the first round in the top time pick, top ten picks, he's going to move way up in ADP. So from a you know in the simplest form of why you should draft Malik Willis now is there's not going to be a cheaper time probably this entire offseason than to go ahead and draft him right now unless he lands you know behind like Tom Brady or something you know some team we don't expect to take him takes him and sets him for two years. That's the only way his ADP is going to go down. So, like, how far up did you move him after you saw him throw a football really far against I the didn't air? move him at all because I don't ever pay attention to pro days for quarterbacks ever. Like, if there's any – like, I <laughs> actually, if I see it, I immediately turn it off. Like, I just I, – I do not care. I don't get it. How about Desmond Ritter, like, making the same exact throw the next day and, like, just nobody caring? Yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, but man, Malik, he really celebrated it well, man. People are going to fall in love with him, right? Like Look, I looked really... at Malik Willis. Like, if you pull up my Twitter feed real quick, like, if people just want to see, like, he's a polarizing player. I put a tweet out there on him today. Um, and really just looking at, like, a couple things that are really positive for, for um, fantasy football. One is his scramble rate. Like, he was number one in scramble rate, um, you know, of all the guys of 17 prospects over the last two years. So if you look at the 2021 2022 class, Big time throw rate, 8.9%. Again, to your point, that can be more stylistic. It doesn't necessarily go back to, oh my gosh, this is predictive. But at the same time, like you can see what an NFL team sees in. Like a guy that can move the ball uh, on the ground can give you plus EPA probably scrambling. And then a player that can also come up with these big throws. Like that's intriguing. Like, and it is along the lines of what teams saw, you know, with Trey Lance. But then like if you go to his turnover worthy plays, he's, he's the worst you know, over this period. If you go to his adjusted completion percentage, he's one of the worst over this period. You go to his sack rate, 8.9% of the time this guy dropbacks to pass, he gets sacked. Like, and he's going to be facing, you know, pressure that's going to happen, you know, more quickly. 
in the NFL. So there's a lot of potential holes in Malik Willis's game. I could see this guy coming through on his raw skills for fantasy-wise. Like He's a guy that I definitely like more for fantasy than I do as a real NFL quarterback. Like If my team drafted him in the top 10, I would not be happy. Um, from an NFL perspective, fantasy he could still come through because he could he could give us that 750 yards rushing, maybe get to maybe try to get to 3,000 yards passing. You know, and depending on if he can score some rushing touchdowns, like he could come through for us. But as far as like looking at him, you know, from a pro standpoint, like I think he's got a long way to go to get right. Looking at Daniel Jeremiah's latest mock, does he not even have Willis? He doesn't have him in there, but then he talked I about think, it. All. Yeah, I think he came back. But he and said, said on a podcast that he should be in like the top 10. I'm like, well, then put him in your mock. Like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so, what's the point? And this messes up like all of our like uh, all of our mock draft averages. Like where if you go to grinding the mock, you know, there's other tools you guys can use out there to do it. But like it throws everything off because, you know, Daniel Jeremiah's is one of them that they look at as being, you know, an expert mock. You know, and there's only so many of those. So, yeah, kind of screws things up. I'm kind of inclined to believe what you're saying, though, in terms of, like, Malik just seems – okay, I get the allure in fantasy. We can honestly just talk about his rushing upside, and that, that's that. That's your and you fantasy. can just be done, yeah. We can done. We, we've seen bad quarterbacks be great fantasy ones just running the ball as much as Malik does it. He's electric. It does seem like, though, again, based on the big-time throw rate and the scrambling, like this dude was made for the YouTube highlight generation of fantasy analysts. Like, look, look, Dwayne, I like watching film, and I like to think that I can do it at a higher level than the average Joe and stuff like that. But let's face it, neither of us are exactly the biggest geniuses in the world for dissecting what constitutes great quarterback play. I'm not going to give the rest of the fantasy industry, you know, the benefit of that doubt either if I'm not giving it to us. So it seems like a quarterback who's running around a lot, making a bunch of crazy off-platform throws and has, you know, arm strength for days would be the type of guy that maybe fantasy, you know, again, highlight watching Twitter is going to value a little bit more than actual NFL decision. I'll tell you this. If you have a 4.3% turnover worth the play rate and a sack rate of 8.9%, you will not be on the field in the NFL. No coach is going to leave you out there. Like, just because you can't sustain that. Like, a turnover, right, is the biggest negative EPA. Um, the next biggest negative EPA for an offense is a sack. And he, right now, has shown to be terrible in both. Um, so, I, I think there's just a, there's a lot of red flags with him um, as far as being like an NFL prospect. I would love him, man, if it was like, hey, this is an early day two guy, a tools guy. You're gonna take a you're gonna take a swing on, but now we're to the point where you got you know folks saying he could go number two in the draft to the Lions. Like there's just no way. Like if the NFL talks themselves into this, I just it's wow. Talk about groupthink, you know, and, and over overrating certain things. I just it's like the pendulum swings both ways on these sort of things. I'm glad to see players that stylistically play the way that Malik Willis does getting a better opportunity in the NFL because used to. You know, you didn't get that. If you were if you were stylistically, you played the way Malik Willis played, the way Trey Lance plays, you didn't get these opportunities to be a first-round draft pick. So I'm happy for these guys. But I think there's also a point to where you just have to be like, okay, like I think we're overdoing it at this point. Good player, worth being a top 10 pick, no. Very interesting stuff from PFF's own Kevin Cole lately. I, I saw him tweeting about this all offseason. He's been looking a lot at a sack avoidance and kind of scrambling. Yeah, um, pull the chart up in that well. for everybody. That's what's interesting. Malik Willis is in the bottom right. It's terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, because okay, the sack thing. I was wondering if maybe his scrambling efficiency outweighed it, but I, when the sacks are that high, man, it's going to be tough to expect all yeah, that uh, much from. Where is it? Okay, next one down, actually. <laughs> See at yeah. the bottom, it's how not Willis. good, man. 
My yeah. God. So That's... scramble EPA, very high, but their sack avoidance was the worst. And so what, what Kevin did basically, and Kevin can explain it better than me, like he's the mathematician, but essentially um, scrambles and when you're getting pressured or is when you're most likely to take a, stack, a sack. So he basically normalized for that and compared everyone. And so Howell and Malik showed up to be, you know, the worst from a perspective of avoiding the sacks, which shows up in his 8.9% sack rate. Yeah. But he normalized it for how often he was pressured. Dude, what was Willis's uh, average time to throw? Because, God, we couldn't talk it's about it. It's high. It's on that other chart that you had up on Twitter. And, and look, so there's a correlation between taking a long time to throw and big time throw rate. Like right. typically, most of the best quarterbacks in the league that have that big time throw rate also hang on to the ball longer. The difference is these guys figure out how to continue to hold on to the ball without seeing their their uh, sack rate per pressure increase. And so that's the step Willis would have to take. He would have to become better at, okay, I'm going to sit back here. I'm going to hold the ball. I'm waiting for the big play, but I'm also still going to be able to manipulate the pocket and I'm going to be able to avoid the sack. Patrick Mahomes does that. Josh Allen does that. Aaron Rodgers does that. So it's doable, but he's it's something that he's going to have to for sure get better at. Okay, this is kind of what I was looking for from Kevin. This is straight from Kevin's tweet. Malik Willis and Sam Howe are in a very weird spot when it comes to his QB sack prevention number. Fields was by far the worst from those drafted from 2015 and 2021. Howe and Willis are somehow in a lower tier than even Fields was. So it seems like, Dwayne, I'm not saying Willis is a bad prospect. You can see the upside. The guy has every single tool you could want. But, like, where would we be valuing him? If he was just in last year's class, like the, the stats that you pulled up, man, what was he 14th of 17th, uh, 14th mm-hmm. among 17 guys in PFF passing grade? It's not yep. great. Yep. No, I, I, I just, there's no way he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't be taken ahead of any of the guys that went in the first round last year. Last year, he probably would have been a second round pick, which I think you would feel a lot better about. Cause then that like early second round, you're like betting on some flashes, some elite tools that you see, you know, you got to round out the rest of their game. And if it's at quarterback, I think that's fine. You know, you're trying to you're trying to take a swing there. But to take him, you know, as a first round pick, I just think it's tough. You know, it's a tough dude, it's a tough year for people that need quarterback because you know you you need to take your shots on quarterbacks, but it's just it's not a good class overall. Maybe a, a one or two of these guys will end up being really good. Um, but like overall, just looking at it versus the past classes, like, man, it's just, you know, and it's not just us, it's to your point, the film community, the analytics community, nobody is screaming that any of these guys are elite prospects. Will be interesting to see where he goes. Hey, take him in the first and second round. Like, I'm not saying that. If you look at like Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz, like the busts over the years, they're still going out there and fetching, you know, multiple draft picks um, in return for their services. So we'll see how that plays out. Plenty of time to still talk about these prospects. And I will make sure to get Kevin some other great minds on the pod closer to pure draft season. Dwayne, we'll be back on Wednesday. I keep forgetting what day of the week it is. I think Wednesday sounds right to talk all things running backs. We've included quarterbacks. Then we'll do wide receiver and tight end. Uh, and next week, we'll really start getting into the best ball side of things. But yeah, man, it's been good to really just kind of go through the league as it stands right now, mostly done with free agency. We'll do the same after the draft. And then we are truly in the thick of the, you know, fantasy football preseason, if you will. What else you got? going on the pff.com it's just your tiers right Every yeah i'm doing tiers. tiers this week so the quarterback tiers come out tomorrow the day after so if you're listening to the pod this week you'll basically get a preview of what's coming out the next day 
each week. So it'll be running backs will come out on Thursday. Then you will get wide receivers on Friday and then tight ends will come out on Monday. Make sure you check that out at Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. I got my first edition of the 2022 ranks out on PFF.com on Monday. One good, one bad staff for all 32 starting QBs. And I don't even know what's coming up next. I'm going to figure it out, though, Dwayne, because I do think that writing helps rationalize those old thoughts of ours. So all you young content creators out there just want to go on TikTok and do all your Gen Z bullshit, just realize that, you know, actually kind of writing out your thoughts, uh, even though it might be longer and not quite as sexy uh, can lead to some good, uh, I think, decision-making. And I don't know, Dwayne, I'm not not professing myself to be a genius here, but I do think uh, writing is a lost art, if you will. You don't need to be exceptional at it or anything. Just, hey, it, I think it helps um, helps everything else. You know, d- d- don't forget about the straw that stirs the drink of a fantasy football content creation. But as I'm rambling about nothing, I think it's time to uh, get the hell out of here. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in, everybody. And until next time, take care.